Is this the most ambitious showing of this kind that's ever been attempted? Yes, in the United States. It's the first time that a black art association has organized and set up their own art exhibit in a museum of this size. Recently, I've been transfixed by these old KPIX news clips of this woman who worked in the Bay Area art scene during the late 1960s and early 70s. I grew up in Oakland and have always known about the arts in the Bay in a way that feels familial and embodied. For me, it feels like going to DIY shows and galleries downtown and seeing the same graffiti tags off the sides of highways again and again. It's hearing stories of my grandfather, one of the first black bar owners in San Francisco, hosting shows with Etta James and Sarah Vaughn. It's seeing pictures of my Aunt Demira holding signs that read Free Huey during her days as a Black Panther. I know that art and black survival have always gone hand in hand. And for me, these roots run deep. But when I studied black cultural production formally in college, I never learned much about where I'm from. My gaze was always directed towards the East Coast, where important things happen. I didn't learn about the Bay Area arts movement of the late 1960s and early 70s. And I didn't learn about E.J. Montgomery. I'm Babette Thomas. I'm a radio producer, and I make a lot of stories about Black history and how it constantly affects the present and future of our culture. And so I often look back on moments of Black utopia, moments in history where Black people were free to be and free to dream. I often lay up at night or during the day when I'm procrastinating on an article, daydreaming of how these types of spaces could exist in the present. In my research, I specifically like to focus in on the stories of Black women who express their artistry in what I believe are genius ways and, in the process, carve out new spaces for themselves. Like Zora Neale Hurston, traveling across the United States, singing back the songs that she learned in her fieldwork in the 1930s. Like queer blues women who created spaces for themselves and their black queer sadness during the Harlem Renaissance. Or singer and actress Etta Moten Barnett, who carved out her own radio show and sonic space, singing across the airwaves in the 1950s. It's easy for me to get obsessive with my research. I spend hours and hours sitting and trying to get a picture of the lives that these black women lived. And it was on one of these spirals through the SF State online archives that I found this clip of Evangeline Montgomery, also known as EJ. 
EJ is a short, soft-spoken, and very polished, light-skinned black woman with coiffed hair, describing a black art exhibition that she curated right here in Oakland. She's standing in a museum gallery in front of paintings and sculptures, all representing black people. This clip is from 1968, but the way that she talks about black art, it also feels like it could be from 2021. What's States. the purpose of having this exhibit? Well, just to show that black artists do exist. Uh, uh, several months ago, I met an African who was in charge of art for his country, and uh, he had been taken across the United States into all of the major museums and schools, and he had not been pointed out any works by any black American artists. And we want the public to be aware that we exist. We want our own people to know that we are here and what, who we are. What EJ was an artist, curator, and arts consultant who was really active in the Bay Area during this period of the late 60s and early 70s. She's being interviewed by what appears to be a white KPIX news anchor. Is this the most ambitious showing of this kind that's ever been attempted? Yes, in the United States. It's the first time that a black art association has organized and set up their own art exhibit in a museum of this size. The exhibition is called New Perspectives in Black Art. It ran from October 5th to October 26, 1968, just three weeks in the Kaiser Center Gallery of the Oakland Museum. EJ was 38 when she convened this exhibition with her Black Arts Advocacy Group, Arts West Associated North, or AWAN for short. It's a group that she put together, and it included local Black artists and some of her classmates from California College of Arts and Crafts, where she studied metallurgy. They are all Black artists residing in the United States and in Northern California. Some are professional, some are self-taught, some have masters, even doctorate's degrees from the age of 19 through 79. Now, this news anchor is somewhat grilling EJ with these questions about why black art matters, why it's so important. But EJ manages to remain collected, elegant, and sure of herself throughout the interview as she stands in front of this artistic exploration of what black art meant in 1968. What difference is there between black art and any other kind of art? Oh, I'm not sure that there really is a difference except that the work has been created by black people. Uh, many of them now are looking to their heritage, which may be Africa, Jamaica, and their own communities for subject matter. Like I said, in college I had learned all about the black arts movement on the East Coast. Spurred on by a sense of developing consciousness, the Black arts movement was filled with artists like Amiri Baraka, Barbara Antier, and Sonia Sanchez in New York City. The East Coast Black arts movement was a rejection of European artistic norms. Seen as the sister of the Black power movement, the Black arts movement championed art with a purpose, art that served the Black community and helped advance a broader freedom struggle. But what I hadn't learned in school is that at the same time, in the 60s and 70s, something similar but unique was happening here on the West Coast, 
right in my hometown of Oakland. We run in a kind of revolution that involves our very lives and it involves us building what we call people's power starting in the heart of the black community to the Chicano community to the Puerto Rican community. Here in the home of the Black Panther Party, black artists were creating art that reflected the political times and conditions. Because before George Floyd's face went up on murals across the country and all over the world, Black artists in this 1968 exhibition were grappling with the police killings of Black boys like Denzel Dowell and Lil Bobby Hutton. They were surrounded by the same conditions of police violence that led the Black Panther Party to be founded in the first place. And EJ's classmates were probably especially keen to the political times. At one point, members of the Black Panther Party actually came to visit their class at California College of Arts and Crafts. And right at the center of all of these intersecting artistic and political movements in the Bay is EJ. When I started researching the Black arts movement in the Bay, I kept running into EJ. She was everywhere in the video archives. Every news clip I looked at from any Black arts exhibition happening at the time, somehow EJ was involved. The show was put together by Evangeline Montgomery. She was an arts consultant at the Oakland Museum. A Black art consultant to the museum. Elizabeth Catlett's lithographs and sculpture was on exhibit at Rainbow Sign in a showing that will run through the end of next month. She was a curator at the famous Black social club in Berkeley called the Rainbow Sign, where the likes of James Baldwin and Nina Simone would convene. Art consultant E.J. Montgomery thinks a program of this kind has been long overdue. Overall, she had consulted over 125 exhibitions for colleges, museums, galleries, and community organizations. And somehow, on top of everything else, she managed to create an arts advocacy group for Black artists where they would meet up in her apartment. Here's Bay Area painter Dewey Crumpler. So she pulled together this organization, uh, invited me to her apartment in the middle of downtown San Francisco and she put this organization together of a whole bunch of weird uh, hipster uh, black artists and she used to have these meetings at her place uh, once once or twice a month you know knock out arguments knock out discussions about damn near everything in those uh, in those uh, heated environments over hip food. I mean, <laughs> you know, it was a kind of intellectual process that really stimulated me as a young person that this is what the arts are. You know, interesting, intellectually precocious, dynamite people, you know, fine women, great looking men and women, you know, it was woo, a cauldron of, of black creative deep insight and I was uh, eating up every minute of it as a kid. EJ made it her self-driven mission to work with black artists in the Bay and create these spaces where they could convene. Black art was her language and she used it to advocate for the role and work of black artists and ensure that black art was accessible to the communities to whom it mattered to the most. With an awareness of the political times and the conditions that Black people were enduring, she convened spaces where art had purpose, art had soul, 
art served a greater community. And I think for me, the reason EJ's work hits so hard is not only because she worked right in the place where I grew up, but also because at one point, I had dreams of doing something similar. I've always had a deep passion for art. My childhood home in East Oakland, one that my family has now lived in for three generations, is filled with black art, with antiques and weirdly with old racist memorabilia. In every corner of my childhood home, there is some piece of work where I can in some way see myself, to the point where today, one of the scariest things in the world to me is a blank wall. My parents took me to museums growing up because we could afford to. And when it came time to develop my own interests, I was drawn to the same art I had seen and been around my whole life growing up. I came of age on the internet, specifically in the Art Ho era of Tumblr. Art Ho started as an online artist collective of different accounts of black people who centered themselves within a larger canon of art. Accounts like Free to Cashflow, Tupac Nose Ring, Sensitive Black Person, Sage Flocka, and Too Jam For You. Scrolling on Tumblr when I was 14, I'd see pictures of black people photoshopped over Van Gogh paintings that would appear again and again, getting thousands of reblogs. Art Ho eventually blossomed into a whole aesthetic movement where black people were right at the center of artistic discourse. Here are Art Ho creators Mars and Amanda Steinberg back in 2016. Art Ho Collective is basically this collective I founded with Jam, my other partner, where we give marginalized groups a platform to just, you know, feel safe while also like broadcasting their art. We realized that the work of people of color has been institutionally excluded. And so we felt like we wanted to have a space where like kids felt comfortable sharing their artwork. It's kind of become this movement about self-acceptance and self-love as artwork. Art Ho was my first real hand introduction into the sociality and kinship involved in Black art. These artists in 2014 were creating networks and collaborations, not unlike the ones that EJ crafted in 1968. And I craved that kind of artistic community. So when I moved to the East Coast for college, I became set on interning at one of the big time New York museums. I thought museums were the places you went to work if you wanted to be around art and help facilitate people's interpretations of it. I dreamed of using sound and radio to make art inside museums more accessible to a broader public. And eventually I did. I found myself surrounded by shiny white walls and glass cubicles, walking through exhibitions and galleries on my lunch break. But I also found myself being the only black person in my department. In my intern group, we were told that we should feel lucky since we were the first group of people admitted to the intern program who weren't already students in the world's best art history programs. I had museum artists asking me how I'd managed to get this job. Ultimately, the capital A, capital W art world didn't feel like the space that I had always imagined it to be. And I'm not the only one who feels this way. In the aftermath of George Floyd's murder, museums in the U.S. underwent somewhat of a reckoning. 
In the last year, people of color have come forward highlighting these systemic violences. There are pages and pages of Instagram accounts dedicated to these folks' stories and how they've been mistreated in museums all over the country. I scroll past them, and it's almost like hearing these choruses of people in whose experiences I see my own. What, what we understand the museum to be, what it has been historically, has been uh, a site of violence and, um, you know, a site of extraction and, you know, a place to a place to put our bones in the basement. Now, black curators, black uh, artists, and any any uh, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, young, you know, BIPOC artist that wants to be part of this institution or work in this, in, in this institution becomes the sentinel, like put as a front line around it. You surrounded. You know, we have to deal with the public when others do not. I've always felt like I was a, a diversity hire, even when I was brought in. I always felt that way. I'm, I'm a keen observer of people and relationships and behaviors. So the best part of working on the floor or in the front line is me seeing people and them seeing me when they do. Unfortunately, we've had a lot of loss in the black community. So always walking into work and, you know, blown away that the things that are on my mind and heart are not on everybody's minds and hearts, I think is really hard. And having to remind people of what's really happening in the world because we are working in an art museum and that the communication through art for me is most powerful, especially contemporary art, is answering a social call. And so it's always, it's been interesting to me to see how few black people come through the doors of the museum and wondering how to um, be open and welcoming. So if you don't see black people in a museum, you know, there's a, there's a reason for it. And it's not about putting a black face on the museum because people feel that, I think. They can feel when the core is not there for you. I want to be clear. To me, in theory, museums seem like the best thing in the world. They're meant to be places where people commune over art in the broader context of history. They're meant to be open to everybody, for everybody. But we know that's not really how it is. Even at their most basic core, U.S. museums are based on legacies of colonialism, pillaging, and cultural theft. Sometimes it feels like nothing has really changed from when EJ, 50 years ago, was advocating for representation of Black artists within these institutions, and then creating her own spaces and organizations. Since the times when her job at the Oakland Museum was on the chopping block, even though she was one of the most established art consultants in the country. Like I said, I'm someone who spends a lot of time daydreaming, looking to visions of the past to imagine a different future. I think it means that I maintain a somewhat hopeful disposition. It's hope that originally drove me to the East Coast to seek the creative community I had always dreamed of and ultimately finding it in friends and lifelong collaborators. It's with the same hope and vision for the future that I turn back to histories of people like EJ to see how Black artists have historically made spaces for themselves, to understand how we can actually imagine an artistic future outside of museums entirely. 
What are the Black artistic spaces outside of museums that you dream of? It, I, I feel like it would have to be a place where you could go and like also be able to connect with nature. It would, it would strongly favor towards people of color. There would be a collective. There would be people that um, felt like they had a seat at the table that often don't feel like they have a seat at the table. And there would be, um, it would just be nothing but love, I think. This kind of dreaming and imagining a future of Black art outside of museums, that's exactly what we'll be doing on this season of Raw Material, Visions of Black Futurity. My name is Babette Thomas. I'm a researcher, radio producer, and artist born and raised in Oakland, California. And I'll be your host on this sonic journey through time. In this season, we'll be looking back at the local history of Black art in California, specifically in the Bay and Los Angeles. We'll be following the story of E.J. Montgomery's life and work, the spaces she made, and all of the legendary Black artists who were in her orbit. Artists like Noah Purifoy, Betty Saar, and Sarah Webster Fabio. Artists who in many ways were so ahead of their time and were constantly doing this kind of active dreaming with an eye towards the future. Artists who had lived during the era of segregation and were determined to take up space. They pushed the boundaries of black art within museums, but also constantly tried to imagine something else experimenting with creating their own spaces to convene and create. In many ways, we'll be taking up that torch by looking to the past and studying their visions of futurity and trying our best to carry them forward. We'll be taking these tools we learned from the past to dream, imagine, and even build the future of Black art, kinship, and collaboration that we so desire. Or at least, that I desire. Oh, And hopefully by the end of the season, we'll be able to actually find EJ herself. She is an amazing powerhouse that helped to define the creative community in the Bay Area Mm. Uh, in in the 1960s and 70s. So when was the last time that you heard from EJ or that you spoke with her? Um, probably... 25 years ago, 30 years ago, she was in a in a care facility. Mm-hmm. And every time I called, I either got a just a ringing phone or I spoke with someone who said, you have to call her back at a different time. And it just never worked out. So I have never had an opportunity to talk directly again yeah. to EJ. Thank you for listening to episode one of Visions of Black Futurity. This podcast is a production of SF MoMA. This episode was written, produced, and sound designed by me, Babette Thomas, with editing help from Maisa Plant Graham, Erica Gangsi, Santino Gonzalez, Liza Yeager, and Kevin Carr. The music you heard in this episode is from the illustrious Georgia Ann Muldrow. Be sure to check out her music wherever you listen. We'll be back in two weeks with episode two of Raw Material, Visions of Black Futurity. I'll see you then.